0: We're continuing on our way through our fall sermon series on Genesis, titled Living with Love and Loss, in which we're exploring the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, using the lens of the intertwining nature of love and loss. Today's message is the second half of a kind of mini two-part sermon series, since I'm preaching twice in a row with Dale and Kent both out of town. Last week, we looked at the story of the human beings in the garden eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we talked about the idea that sin, that is, a disruption or corruption of our relationships with God, each other, and creation, is both personal and systemic. One of the insights from that story into the human condition is that we humans all know that there is a difference between doing good and evil. And we live in the tension between the two with the ability to exercise free choice while not possessing the true, complete knowledge of the difference between good and evil, and with the ability to choose evil, even when we know what is truly good. Now we will pick up on that same story from scripture in the moment after the awareness of good and evil has entered the consciousness of the human beings. This is in Genesis 3, and Genesis 3 is a rich text that has been studied, sermonized on, and used in all kinds of ways. Because these texts are so complex, with numerous ways we could discuss them, I necessarily have to leave out a lot of stuff. But that's okay. That's why, in my opinion, Bible study never gets boring. For today, I have again chosen specific verses, and the focus of the message is to be on the question, what insight can this text give us about the human condition, particularly about our relationship with God? So take a deep breath, clear your mind, open your heart, and invite the Spirit in. Let's listen as the scripture is read.
1: Today's reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, and then 22 through 24. During that day's cool evening breeze, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the Lord God in the middle of the garden's trees. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? The man replied, "'I heard your sound in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself.' He said, "'Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree which I commanded you not to eat?' The man said, "'The woman you gave me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate.' The Lord God said to the woman, "'What have you done?' The Lord God said, The human being now has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, so he doesn't stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to farm the fertile land from which he was taken. He drove out the human to the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed winged creatures wielding flaming swords to guard the way to the Tree of Life. May God bless the reading and hearing of this word.
0: I think one of the funniest parts of this story is that the humans run and hide in the middle of the trees. It's kind of like a toddler playing peekaboo where they think you can't see them if they cover their eyes. A remarkable part of this story is that we've got God walking around in the garden, enjoying the cool of the evening. Creation is good here, and it's a place for God to live in and enjoy. And the human beings in this story are also able to enjoy the abundance of creation and are living in close proximity to and in relationship with God. Of course, this situation doesn't go well for the human beings. In the beginning, everything was good, but after a bit, the human beings managed to mess everything up by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One of the mysteries of the story, something I realized too late for last week's sermon, is that the poor woman gets a bad rap for all time and eternity in most interpretations of Genesis 2 for eating the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. But if she had no knowledge of the difference between good and evil, she couldn't have possibly understood that she was making a bad choice. A mystery to ponder and more support for the point that it is part of our universal human condition that we have very little ability to correctly predict the consequences of our actions. Anyway, we have these two people in the garden hiding from God like toddlers playing peekaboo. They've eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and a new awareness has dawned within them. They are suddenly self conscious, and God recognizes this self consciousness as a byproduct of the awareness of good and evil that could only come from eating the fruit of the tree. So God asks them directly if they have eaten from that tree. And the man, what does he do? Immediately, he tries to deflect blame onto God and the woman everywhere, but himself. He basically says, uh, uh, God, the woman you gave me, she, she made me do it. So it's either your fault, God, or the woman's fault. Definitely not my fault. Obviously I'm completely paraphrasing this exchange. But in my interpretation, this is the first sin of the story. If sin is the corruption or disruption of our relationship with God and other people, then this human being here does both. He technically tells the truth, but in a way that is disruptive to his relationship with God, and in a way that makes the woman there an object rather than a partner. And now that the humans have eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and used their free will to choose not to follow instructions. God knows that they will also eat from the tree of life if left alone in the garden. So the humans are driven out never again to return. There are two insights here in this story for us that I think are relevant to the human condition. The first is that in the picture we are given of God here, God seems to worry that if given the chance, human beings will attempt to become like God with complete knowledge and eternal life. God says the human being has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, so he doesn't stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden. This concern over humanity becoming like God illuminates something true about human nature. Other animals don't try to be more than they are. Only humans try to move beyond the finite limits of creaturely existence. To try to become like God requires each of us to reach beyond our natural creaturely limits like the humans in the gardens do. And truly humans consistently do reach beyond our limits without any complete sense of the consequences of doing so. For example, well, there's so many examples of this, so let's pick an easy one. Um, Take automobiles, the internal combustion engine. Internal combustion engines are the most broadly applied and widely used power generating devices currently in existence. And with them, we break all the limits of our clumsy, bipedal, ground-dwelling existence. We can go fast. We can go everywhere, fly around the world, fly into space. It's truly, truly amazing. But it turns out there are some real downsides to going so fast. And we live every day with the tragic consequences of things like car accidents and plane crashes. And also, burning so much fuel contributes to climate change, and not to mention all the environmental consequences of drilling for oil to fuel all those engines. Just like the humans in Genesis are not able to return to Eden, we are not able to go back to the time before that technology was invented. And we probably wouldn't want to give up that technology even if we could, even knowing the downsides. It doesn't matter, though, because technology itself is neutral. Yes, the struggle is not with the technology, which is just one example of how we reach beyond our creaturely limits. The struggle is within us. Yes, the technology is neutral. It's neither good nor bad. And all of the downsides might have ways that we, with our imaginations, could mitigate the damage and multiply the good. The struggle lives within us in the tension between the good and evil consequences that the use of our technology unleashes on the world when we reach beyond our limits we unleash impacts on ourselves other people and creation that we do not have the ability to foresee and This idea of the impacts reaching beyond our limits brings us to a second insight into the human condition that this story illuminates. The sense that we used to have a close relationship with God, and now we don't. Genesis 2 and 3 give the impression that God was at one point fully present to us, able to be seen and spoken with. In Genesis 2 and 3, the human beings are expelled from the garden by God as a consequence of their desire to reach beyond their limits. The humans no longer have an intimate relationship with God in the garden. In the study of theology, one of the characteristics of God that often gets named is the hiddenness of God hiddenness of God. God is mysterious. God is never fully and completely revealed to us. And additionally, the language that we use to talk about God is always necessarily incomplete because we can never fully know God. And today's scripture reading highlights both the presence and absence of God in a way that shows us that reaching beyond our limits can actually create in us a feeling of separation from God. For us reaching beyond our limits causes both good and evil. The fact that we can build almost anything we can imagine. We have all the information we want in the palms of our hands and we can launch investigations all the way to Mars and craft skyscrapers that practically touch the sky. All these good human-made marvels we have in our lives, they give us power. And power historically makes us arrogant and leads us to the sin of self-idolatry that we talked about last week. And some of the forms the sin of self-idolatry takes are seeking domination and mastery over others and using people and nature to serve your own ends. The sin of self idolatry infects all of our human systems, all of the ways that we work together. It's a collective human problem. God no longer seems relevant or necessary when we can build everything and do everything ourselves. The tragic double edge of the sin of self idolatry is that it robs everyone of a sense of the presence of God. Self idolizers in power no longer feel God is relevant because it seems to them they can do anything they want. Their power is limitless. In this case, some might even claim to speak on behalf of God. but the image of God is really being manipulated for their own ends. On the flip side, those who suffer collectively are often left questioning the presence of God. Evil on a scale of the Holocaust, genocide, enslavement, or the perpetration of individual horrific acts from one person to another, often leaves those who suffer bereft of a sense of God leaving them questioning whether God has left them to suffer alone, compounding their devastation. In reading Genesis chapters 2 and 3, we can see in the story that the disruption of humans' relationship with God comes as a consequence of their own actions, and we can apply this symbolism to our own lives. Genesis 2 and 3 reveals that feeling separated from God is a part of Of the human condition. The sin isn't in feeling separated or wondering where God is or even questioning the existence of God. All of that is normal. After all, we are not in the garden with God anymore. No, the way to sin lies in building ourselves up as idols to fill the void instead of seeking God with all our heart, mind, Soul and strength. The good news is that the absence of God is an illusion. We are like a toddler playing peekaboo, thinking that if we can't see, then God isn't there. As Christians, our answer to the question of where is God is threefold in the Trinity. God is known to us as the creator of all things, the redeemer of all things, and the sustainer of all life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, made known to us in Scripture through the work of the Holy Spirit, reconciles us to God and redeems us from the exile of the garden. God with us in Christ redefines power in terms of love. Jesus' power comes in the form of a surprising love that welcomes sinners, a love that makes itself vulnerable for the sake of others, and a love that reaches out to those who suffer on the margins. The good news of the Gospel is that Christ shows us the way to repent and to return to God and reveals for us how to love one another more fully. Yes, the love of God is at work everywhere by the power of the Spirit, renewing and transforming us and all things and planting seeds of hope in anticipation for the coming reign of God. May it be so. Thanks be to God.